Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and I kind of want to call this episode the six degrees of space as a service, mostly because I'm joined by Melanie Jones and Todd Simpson from Furniture as a Service Company Court, which is a Berkshire Hathaway company. That means that I'm really just six degrees away from interviewing Warren Buffett on this podcast. Think about that for a moment. Okay, well, let's just pretend that's true. But in all seriousness, Furniture as a Service has a significant impact on commercial real estate because it's another way of enabling flexibility for office customers and how we procure our workplaces. I call it a tool in the platform of space as a service. In this episode, Melanie shares how the term furniture as a service was coined, that her and Todd go on to tag teams of real life examples of how landlords are partnering with court to deliver value to their mutual office customers. We dive into some high level numbers, so get ready to take some notes and maybe have your calculator ready. We also discussed Melanie's favorite topic, sustainability and the circular economy. But I have to admit, my favorite part of this episode is how Court is leaning into the future with their new digital solutions that help landlords close deals faster. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Before we get this episode started, I have to give a big shout out to Franco over at PropMoto for always covering the hot topics in commercial real estate especially the article that Melanie wrote recently titled, It Takes a Village to Create a Flexible Office. We've included a link in the show notes below. Okay, over to you, Jeff. Let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bowl Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. And today I'm joined by Melanie Jones and Todd Simpson from Furniture as a Service Operator Court. Yes, I said furniture as a service, and we're going to dive into that shortly. But first, if you haven't met Melanie in person or virtually yet, You should get to know her. I admire how she's challenging the status quo in commercial real estate. Melanie's a passionate contributor within the commercial real estate conversation. Distilled down, her mission at Court Furniture is to support change in the way furniture is utilized in the workplace and in buildings. Now, I know she likes to shake things up a little in order to drive change, but I didn't know she and her husband live on their own tree farm in western Kentucky where they raise and sell trees to other landowners. No, I didn't say landlords, landowners. Melanie is passionate about a more sustainable world and her three kids, and she's a frequent contributor on the social channels. I think she's a unique thought leader bringing an interesting perspective to the commercial real estate conversation. Now, she's joined by Todd Simpson, Managing Director of the Strategic Business Development Team for Court. Todd has been gracious enough to join and support an interesting conversation today around this subscription-like approach to furniture utilization. That's flexibility, changeability, sustainability, access instead of ownership, reduced capital, limited risk, which is huge, on-demand, speed, and the operational expertise it takes to make all this work. Todd spent the last 25 years supporting businesses in transition and currently manages the strategic business development sales effort at Court, which includes not only the commercial real estate industry, but all kinds of companies that use furniture as a service as part of their overall real estate strategy. On a personal note, Todd lives in the greater Philadelphia area and spends his free time supporting his two sons in sports, scouting, camping, and other activity. Melody, Todd, welcome to the Work Bowl podcast. Thank you, Caleb. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Caleb, for including us in this. I'm looking forward to this. I'm just really thrilled to have you on the podcast, Melody. I know you like to shake things up a little in order to drive change, which is, to me, a trait among bold people and what we aim for on the show. And Todd, every time you and I talk, 
I learned something new. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. Look, since, since Court is a Berkshire Hathaway company, I have to share my favorite quote attributed to Warren Buffett. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. And I just think it's appropriate because the as-a-service part of our respective businesses is all about providing value to our customers. So guys, let's dive into this topic. Melanie, I heard a rumor I have to ask. I heard that you coined the term furniture as a service. Is that true? That is true. That is true. And before we, we go too much further, I just wanted to say, Kayla, what a privilege it is for us to be here today. You've had so many fantastic guests sharing really brilliant ideas over the, the past uh, year or two. And you're doing such a phenomenal job of facilitating, not even facilitating, leading conversations around change and commercial real estate. So bravo. Thank you. Thank you very much. Too kind. One more thing is that in the, the bio that you shared, it states that my mission is to educate and support commercial real estate teams around the, the many benefits of furniture as a service. But I wanted to take a minute and thank Todd for joining too, because as our managing director, he is able to share some insights from our broader client base. I think the listeners will really enjoy. So Todd, thanks for doing this with me. Oh, thanks, Melanie. Sure. Okay, so furniture as a service to set the stage here is um, about six years ago, I joined the workplace team at Court in Atlanta with the directive to help figure out how to connect our many millions of dollars of furniture assets to the commercial real estate community. And I was blessed to have conversations with lots of CRE leaders in Atlanta, but elsewhere as well, and ask tons of questions and really listen to where could we bring value. I didn't do this alone. Of course, Todd is an example of someone that was helping and collaborating, but also Ron Steinbrink, Phil Carl, Greg Copeland, Maggie Fernandez, and Beverly Steele. And I wanted to mention them because we've worked hard to collaborate to figure out how to make this tool available to commercial real estate teams. But as all of this was going on, at the same time, I read a really good book that's perfect for innovators called The Upstarts by Brad Stone. And I, I just got to thinking, how would Travis Kalanick and others like him position our offering? And it just felt like commercial real estate teams were putting us in a furniture bucket when we really belong in a strategy bucket. So my goal was to flip the conversation from furniture riddle, which we do and we're very good at, but to furniture a service positioning to create curiosity, kind of combine the idea of a subscription approach like well, space as a service or software as a, a service with furniture on demand. And honestly, I just started writing about it. And it's similar to Anthony Slumbers when he coined the phrase space as a service and did the same thing. So it's just driving change. And today it's a term that's used globally by many companies. In fact, yesterday there was an article that came out that said Barack Obama's former financial advisor had just invested into a, a furniture as a service startup. So it's rewarding to think that it started here at court. That is super cool. That is super cool to get that sort of exposure. And I love what you say, shifting it from the furniture bucket to a strategy bucket. And it reminds me of an episode we did last season with Basil DeMarutis, the director of uh, developer for partnership. And he talks about creating buildings and providing space as a strategy or strategy as a service. I get those backwards either way, but it means to me, it means the same thing. And to focusing on the strategy makes sense to me. So I, I want to open it up before I go into my next question to Todd, if you wanted to, to comment on that, or would you like me to continue? No, it's true. And I think Melanie's done a fantastic job really raising awareness about what we do and then 
We're going to explore some use cases later in the conversation where she specifically gets into how we help commercial real estate and how we help enterprise businesses. And so uh, she's done a fantastic job, you know, connecting those different pieces. Well, then I'm going to go straight into this, the, the, the big question, the definition of furniture as a service. What is it? Well, how do you define it? I, I define it. The simple description is that it's a subscription-like approach that provides access to furniture instead of ownership. And I think the focus is this concept of access. It's on demand, and it's really shaking up how furniture is used in the workplace, but also in buildings. We have our many customers asking, do I really need to own and manage all this furniture in every instance? And I think the service part of this depends on the customer needs. Furniture is furniture, but the service section of it depends on the outcome that the person or company is trying to achieve. Yeah. And I would add to that, Caleb, I, I say something like, imagine everything you needed in an office environment available in any quantity for almost any length of time that you can change or, or switch out at any time. So let's say you have an open area, maybe it was designed to be a collaborative space and it's not being used with furniture as a service. You return that and you can convert that area to workstations, for example. So the monthly rate for the collaborative furniture drops off your agreement. And the workstations you put in go on the agreement. And so you can pivot and change the space to what you need. In, in terms of how it works, furniture as a service provider owns the furniture, the assets, and you use them for the period of time that you need them with a rate based on that term. So for example, you'll see longer term rates are lower than the rate for just a few months, but there's a real efficiency that comes from the business model. First, the furniture is immediately available. Lead times are very short. In our case, we have 56 warehouses, most likely within 10 to 20 miles of where our clients need to be. We buy in very large quantities, tens of thousands of individual pieces. So companies that use our services are tapping into that buying power. We also maintain our own warehouse space, our own delivery and installation teams, and our own fleet of trucks, if people are curious about how that works operationally. So it's a complete end-to-end -end service, and we maintain control of the service side all the way through. And finally, it, when the items come back to us at the end of a furniture as a service agreement, we have the people and processes to lightly refurbish those items and get them ready to put back for the next customer. If the items are worn, furniture as a service provider should have a, a disposition strategy. Ours happens to be a retail outlet center. So once something comes off a furniture as a service agreement, it's probably going to end up sold to a small business well, it reminds me of my Washington, D.C. days when I used to own a car. I don't own a car anymore. And when I owned a car in D.C., I only drove it on the weekends. And around, I don't know what year it was now, but maybe it's 2009-ish, a zip car started really coming onto the scene big time. And the, the whole idea was instead of owning that car that sat in a parking space for most of the time, I could get rid of my car and just have a zip car when I need it. It was access versus ownership. Of course, now... I just call an Uber up. So it's yep. the way of the world today. It just makes sense. Yep. But I, I, I think it's tapping into the circular economy too. It's on demand. And for us, one of the keys is identifying when it's the right choice. And that's what really what our team's all about is to walk clients through this evaluation because working with us isn't always the right answer, but there's a huge uptick right now of when it is because philosophies are changing a little bit of the, of, like you just said, the access versus ownership. 
it's it's certainly right now with all the uncertainty coming out of the pandemic, it's a key feature we all need to be tapping into. And I guess I get it from the customer perspective, the end user, the occupier or the tenant, if I use dinosaur terms in commercial <laughs> real estate. But what is the value that furniture as a service brings to the commercial real estate industry? So I look at it that that we're bringing the commercial real estate industry additional tools, additional solutions that they can use to close more business. So we're not out in the marketplace pursuing commercial real estate by saying, hey, if your tenant needs furniture, send them to us. An approach like that doesn't create any value. Instead, our belief is when commercial real estate understands and embraces furniture as a service, they have this whole new toolkit to solve problems for their clients. So that's why we created Melanie's role to have her focused specifically on the industry and aligning those specific use cases with the folks in commercial real estate firms so they can understand how we can be a resource for them to close more business. Can we dive into some examples of furniture as a service being put into application? Yeah, I'm going to share two examples of what's traditionally been Court's um, sweet spot in commercial real estate, and that is helping with large swing spaces for the commercial real estate firm, but on behalf of the occupier or customer. So one of them is working with JLL with Inspire Brands in Atlanta. And it's interesting because they needed to accomplish three things. They needed to densify headquarters. They were going through mergers and acquisitions and just all kinds of new people. So we probably visited their site 30 different times, bringing more and more furniture, doing more space plans, really helping. And the, the second thing is that they were in a co-working space, but they needed to double up the offices. It was actually spaces co-working and spaces isn't going to go and buy a bunch of furniture to accommodate a one-year need for a, a client, but the, they work directly with us. So we're able to take care of that. And then the third thing was to have a full floor, lots and lots of people um, in this space for over a year. But what I think is interesting is this, the furniture as a service part of it is, I think before COVID, densification was the huge thing. It's not the huge thing now. So the service part of what we're doing flips around. It might be instead of more furniture now, it's some dividers and panels or air purification systems, you know. So I think that the example of helping JLL support a client in just the right way at just the right time is what we're about. Not to mention that we assume the burden of the temporary space, all that goes into that, Caleb, how much it takes to put in a full floor for people. It makes sense. And I, I continue to think about my Zipcar example, because some days you need a truck and some days you want something small and some days, so you want something a little bit nicer and you have the different vehicles you can tap into. And here, what you're saying is, in, in, historically, you, you were, you know, providing more densification, and now you're letting your customers tap into the furniture and access what they need when they need it for the right use case. It's powerful to say to a JLL or a CBRE or whoever it is that we can help you with this on behalf of your client, at least from my role in my work, what I do. We have plenty of occupier enterprise clients. But just real quick, the second example is was with CBRE in Dallas. We worked with Ryan Buchanan and his team. So they have a very large client that's looking for a new global headquarters, but it's going to take them about a year to figure out probably even where they're going, what it's going to look like, everything that it takes to build out a space like this. And so in the meantime, they relied on court to help with the test fits and the product, pulling all the product together, the installation, all of that for three full floors of furniture 
for about a year. So that it's a big project. But in the end, I think one of the key things about the service is the fact that all these employees get to go walk into their new office when it's done, just take their keys and their laptop. Court comes back behind, takes all of that furniture. We take it back, like Todd mentioned, make sure it's in great shape, put it back, integrate it back into our huge inventory, and it's ready for the next application. It makes sense. I mean, totally. And that's uh, what we used to call swing space. And I guess we still call it swing space in, in commercial real estate. And, and it just makes sense because the new place they're going to might re- have a different requirement. And if they bought the furniture, they have to take it with them or try to figure out how to sell it. But then with you guys, you could just plug in whatever they need in the new place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's not going to buy all new furniture and put it in a swing space. The new furniture is going in the new, the new location. Exactly. And honestly, we've seen that part of our portfolio some of it's switching over to spaces of service locations. That just makes sense as well. Yeah. And I, I just wonder, are we going to get, and this is maybe a question for the universe here, but are we going to get to a point where the concept of swing space isn't needed anymore because we're so good at being able to access versus own things and just move and utilize what we need when we need it. But that's, that's a bigger conversation. You mentioned, Melanie, this is a sort of your traditional example, but do you have some newer applications on how furniture as a service is being used? Yeah, I I do. In our enterprise client base, more and more, we're having them sign on with us to have furniture as a service as part of their overall real estate strategy. Big companies still purchase a lot of furniture, but they also have things going on in their business that require flexibility and speed. A a good example at the last WorkTech event I uh, attended in New York, now this was pre-COVID, the global real estate leader of a major financial services firm talked about the forecasting his team had done in the past, typically based on three to five-year timelines. By 2019, he said they're working on nothing more than one year out. And I'd tell you today, post-COVID, he could be no more than a few months in terms of True. what his team is planning and forecasting for the future. But even before COVID, they were no more than a year out. And, and with that kind of uncertainty, companies just shouldn't be purchasing all of their furniture. And he described how the drop in interest rates had changed some of the real estate decisions that they were making. And those things happened fairly quickly. So he talked about having to hire hundreds of mortgage processors and reconfigure space quickly to take advantage of that economic opportunity, but that's not going to last very long. So those are the kinds of things where enterprise businesses are saying, okay, furniture as a service needs to be part of my overall strategy. Won't be my only strategy for furniture, but it will be part of it. And in the broader space as a service category, We're seeing a lot more creativity to accommodate growing clients, somewhat similar to the swing space example that Melanie mentioned earlier. But we have a a client in Washington, D.C. that we did a project with recently. They've got an existing footprint within their long-term leases, but they do a great job growing with their client when they need to. The recent project, their client, their tenant, needed 100 additional seats while their permanent headquarters was being built but the provider had run out of space. There was no more space within their existing footprint. So they went and secured a one-year sublease, called us for furniture as a service, and everyone wins, right? The tenant gets what they need. The provider has this win, and there's very little risk for the provider with furniture as a service as opposed to making a purchase. What we see happening as more providers emerge, whether it's the partnership model or the lease signing model, We remove the risk that comes from making a large purchase, but most of all, we allow others in the industry to be flexible, to be customer-centric, to say yes to more things in the interest of winning the business. Yeah. Another thing that's 
coming to the forefront a little bit more is subleases. Subleases have always been around, but there's a bunch of it right now. So some of those have furniture. Some of the furniture's not very good and others it's empty. So if someone's taking over an 18 month um, lease and there's no furniture or it's, they want more modern furniture, court's perfect for that. And when you say perfect, so what, can you be more specific? Yeah. So we'll say that, let's say your company, Caleb wanted to, to go into a space for 18 months and you have a hundred employees and you're, you're like, I'm not going to buy furniture for this 18 months. Cause I don't know what's going to happen next. And we're going to either go somewhere else, or we might stay here longer, or we might start using other bold spaces. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. So the, so we go in and put the furniture in. And as soon as they move out of that sublease, the furniture come back to us. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. We touched a little bit earlier on, on the bringing value to commercial real estate, but we've obviously talked a lot about how you guys are supporting the end users and the customers. I, I, I'm wondering, and I'm just maybe thinking selfishly here because we, my company supports asset managers and landlords. That's, it's our business. Obviously we support the end users too, but we work for the asset owner. Specifically, how do you help landlords? Is there any examples you can talk about? I can start with an example. And then I know Todd's got some thoughts on this. You could tell from our conversation that we work with most every commercial real estate company in the U.S. And we frequently partner with Avis and Young and their flexible office solutions team because they're early adopters of furniture as a service in taking this to their landlord clients. And recently working with Michael Kloppenberg and Mike Gross in New York, they're helping a large national landlord that has a very strong presence in New York City. And their first assignment was to create several furnished short-term flex spaces in a building that was harder to lease. And so part of their goal was to create a vision for this landlord of what could be. You're not in New York, Caleb, so they're bringing this solution. So, you know, like many landlords, they're interested in dipping their toes in the water of short-term furnished space. And they just love this idea of not having to invest capital into furniture as they test this. So the Michael and Mike were able to very quickly work with court, put together a plan, get the furniture in there, start showing it. And sure enough, quickly the space is leased and now they're rolling this out in other markets and other buildings. But that's one way that we're helping commercial real estate brokers leverage the model for their landlord clients. Well, shout out to, to Michael and Mike. And then I obviously can't leave Giovanni and, and Charlie out of the conversation. Exactly. They're doing a hell of a job championing and being ambassadors for Space as a Service. So it's great. It's great to hear that you guys are supporting them on that. Okay, guys. So continuing on my selfish perspective right. here. So assuming I'm working for an asset manager, we're helping them with their Space as a Service strategy for their asset. And we're delivering the five pillars of space as a service. And within that pillar, we have several space components. Or within one of the space pillar, we have several components. And one of those components, let's call it, I don't know, 10,000 square foot that we want to put in and market it as a managed space to a larger group. Or maybe we split it into two communities for two different, two different occupiers, two different customers. How can you come in and help work with us to help us evaluate the pros and the cons of the furniture plans and whether we should deploy a furniture as a service strategy along this for this landlord, or should we just put it into the CapEx and buy it? I would focus in on a few things with you. First of all, what is the level of flexibility you want to provide in that space? And so we have clients today that just rent space 
for short terms, and they offer furniture as a service as part of their offering on each new tenant that comes in. That's rare. It's not common, but it, it does happen. And so there's clients that actually do that. Every new tenant that comes in gets to pick their furniture and contracts with us for a furniture as a service agreement. On the other end of the spectrum, you have someone like a WeWork who are typically in long-term agreements, right? Now they buy the majority of their furniture and they don't allow customization. But that's not to say we, we haven't done deliveries in WeWork locations because we have. In situations where the customer needed something that it just didn't make sense for anyone to buy. The most recent example was a call center in a WeWork location. The end user is one of our clients and they came to us directly and they said, hey, we need you to bring in rugs. We need you to bring in desk dividers. We need you to bring in movable panels, all in the interest of reducing noise within that location. So it comes down to flexibility, choice for the tenant. Is there part of your offering where that would be of value? There are many applications where you might want to offer some choice, some flexibility in the furnishings. And the most common scenario that I think I'm seeing going forward is that providers are going to take a hybrid approach. There are going to be certain core items that they're going to buy that they feel all their clients are going to need. So that might be their sit-to-stand desks. That might be their conference rooms. But they might use furniture as a service in certain situations to allow some customization for the client. The other thing I would explore with you, Caleb, a little bit is the risk side uh, of the equation. Is it possible your engagement might not work out in a given building and you may need to exit the building for another location? We have customers like that in the financial services space in particular, where they expand and explore new markets but they use subleases and they use furniture as a service to get a foothold in the market, to stay flexible while they figure out the size ultimately that they need to be. So occasionally they do shut down a location. We've seen that. And for them, the value in, in being able to shut it down and not have to worry about liquidation or some of the site decommission issues is something that provides value for them. So those are the things that I would explore really flexibility. And then the risk of, of each new engagement are, are two issues I'd want to address with you. I think the, the flexibility piece is key. And this is, in our business, new flex is in our name. The flexibility is massively important to us. And in, in the scenario that I gave, I can imagine uh, if we had 10,000 square feet, we chopped it into two communities that we were going to manage stacked in the building with conventional leases on top and then our traditional bold or one of our other brands in the building of flex and, and co-working and meeting rooms and, and members lounge in that managed community instead of investing in the capex up front and putting in the fully furnished plug and play ready to go instead of investing in that up front plugging and tapping into you but not just tapping into you actually sitting down with the customer in you and letting the customer customize what they want in the space through you and be able to procure that on that flexible basis totally makes sense. And it, it brings me to this next point, because I think this applies in the scenario. And Melanie, you recently shared uh, this amazing piece in PropMoto featuring ideas from a number of commercial real estate thought leaders. Thank you for including me, by the way. In it, you mentioned a partnership that Court has with Fast Office. And I think that partnership might apply to what I've just said. So I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit about what your partnership's all about. Uh, first of all, you're welcome. And thank you for being a thought leader. This might be a great spot to plug the Real Innovation Academy and all of the relationships and, and, and networking we've been able to do with global, basically, you know, it's a think tank. So anyway, 
that's a great article. Maybe you could put a link to it. But with Fast Office, what happened a few years ago is that that Casey Myers, is, um, one of the co-founders of it, was doing some reading on the furniture as a service content that we share. And he reached out to me. And over the course of the last couple of years, our team has just gone back and forth to figure out how can we utilize this it's a, a digital interface is a way to put it. And so at this time, Todd is leading that uh, product for us. So I thought maybe he could share a little bit more. Yeah, Fast Office is a great program and a great service. And our relationship with them is actually two-sided. It's interesting. Fast Office allows you to, to look at a space, to quickly add in furniture and other cost details to a basic floor plan. They've got a very cool 3D walkthrough. The whole idea is you can get in there, you can drag and drop furniture in different places, you can see the pricing details, and you can begin to understand what's the total cost of occupancy within that space. So our furniture as a service offering is built in there. So someone can go in and use Fast Office and say, what a one-year lease look like? What would a three-year lease look like? What would the cost look like? In addition to getting the visuals, the landlords that work with Fast Office get a really nice benefit too, because it allows them to experiment with shorter terms and allows them to look at more full service options without committing to buying the furniture upfront. But we're also a Fast Office customer. This is the two-sided nature of it. Our clients can send us a PDF. And so we can hop on a call with them and in real time, put together some basic floor plans and budgets and share that with our customers in real time. So it's really a great tool to take a quick look and see, could this space work for me? What might it cost? What would that floor plan look like? And it's very quick and very easy to use. Yeah, I, let me add on to that, that the alternative in, in say the, before we were tapped into to Fast Office is that we would have a landlord say, okay, I'm thinking even installing a full floor of furniture and I'm gonna hope that the right tenant comes along. And that tenant, wants the exact configuration of furniture that I, the landlord, guess they would want. So instead, they can outfit the space, stage it virtually, and we can deliver furniture on demand just like the, the customer wants it. As you mentioned, Caleb, we can sit down with them and say, okay, this is how many people you could fit in that space and this is the cost. But to change it up just a little bit to meet your needs, this is what it would look like. And it just, it's, it's fast, fast office. Very clever use of words there. No, I, I, I love this. And because I'm a visual person and when I, this past year being through various lockdowns, my budget on eating out at restaurants went down, but my budget on Deliveroo went up massively. The restaurants that I return to all the time on Deliveroo is the ones that I can they actually put pictures of the food in, in the menu. So as I'm scrolling, I can see, oh, that looks really good. This looks really good. I don't want that. I want that. And I just... This is, that reminds me of that. And so I can imagine sitting down with one of our customers and instead of showing them this ready to go white box, you guys can have us put in a fully furnished box and now it's set in stone. Or instead of putting anything in, we can show the, the customer, hey, look, here's this white box over here. Here's what it could look like, or it could look like this, or it could look like this. And then it's more of a collaborative process. And I think that to me, it helps sell, particularly for people who are like me, visual. So I think that's a smart partnership. And not only can you say it looks like this or it could look like this, you could say this time frame or this time frame. It's both elements. It's what it looks like and it's the term that's needed because it, of the flexibility that we're looking at. If you're talking to a landlord and they said, we want furniture here for 10 years and we know what we want, you're going to call, you know, Steelcase or somebody to get it. But if it's something that's 
flexing and changeable and reduce risk and reduce capital, then furniture as a service must be on the table in the conversation. Well, this might be a naive thing to say, but who can make a decision 10 years out these days? And on that note, do you guys get involved in, since it is flexible and, and with all the uncertainty today, and I'm going back to your example before about putting something in and then maybe changing it out, are you helping your customers learn about how they're, they're using it? Do you have metrics on occupancy or what sort of technology that comes along with the hardware furniture? Yeah, we do. We do. Our occupancy and space utilization platform is called Foresight. And that's the number four. And then the word site, S-I-T-E. Foresight delivers user analytics in a comparative dashboard environment. And you can look across things like location. You can look at specific buildings, specific floors. You can drill down in lots of different ways. You can look over different time periods like daily, weekly, and monthly. And you can also look specifically at other things like individual departments or business units. The most common use cases we're seeing right now in, in Foresight, our clients are using this for space optimization and for making long-term lease decisions to measure and see how the space is being used and use that data to inform better decisions going forward. And we have some more recent engagements with using Foresight based on our ability to provide information for things like proximity and sanitization within the space, some sort of COVID-specific use cases there. That's foresightbycourt.com. Folks want to learn more about that, they should look at the site. Very cool technology. Well, I, I will put the link in the show notes. And I'm actually on the website now. I like what it says. Think of it as mission control. And I, I can totally see it being used very much over the next couple of years as companies are figuring out, as they come back and deploy hybrid working policies and see how their space is being utilized as a break clause comes up in lease or the expiries come up, totally using these uh, the analytics to decide how they're going to go forward with their office space. Okay, check out the website. Uh, we'll put the links in the show notes below. I'm just still in my head going around about the numbers. And I want to go back to the financial perspective between the purchasing furniture uh, and then the economics of furniture as a service, because presumably you pay more because you have the flexibility, but going back to the quote, price is what you pay, value is what you get. So can we talk a little bit about the financial perspective and the economics around the differences between furniture as a service and buying the furniture outright? I have the simple answer. I know you keep talking about Zipcar, but this is, and, and it's similar. When we're asked to compare what we do versus a purchase, it's it's very similar to comparing the cost of accessing Uber to the cost of purchasing a car. They're simply two different approaches. So initially, anyway, we focus on the strategy and the need more than the money, but the money is important. But I just like to point out that sometimes we'll have people doing research and they're like, we're going to compare the two. You can't really compare them because they're for different applications. So I, I think that's the easy way to talk about it. And then just real quick is that not long ago, I did an interview with Vic Agarwal, who was last at Notel and is at Flexibly now, his own company. But he was just saying that a company may say that they're willing to pay a certain premium to have flexibility so they don't interfere with the business agility or the high financial cost of getting a real estate decision wrong. So in other words, flexibility is the safety valve for getting it wrong. I'm going to start using that in my conversations. Caleb, I would go with, on that question, I would go with a movie reference, believe it or not. I'm, I'm thinking of the first Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, the scene at the end of the movie where they have the Ark of the Covenant 
it's they're nailing it into a box it's going into storage and then the camera pans back and you see just this massive storage facility with all these boxes that nobody knows what's in there and I, i've had meetings with clients like this where we walk through their storage facility and we look at racks and racks of furniture that they have stored for probably five or 10 years. As we walk through, they're not even sure what they have is usable and it's just outdated. It's not something they could use under their current standards, yet they continue to pay to store it as if they're someday gonna repurpose it. So there are additional costs and, and burdens that come from, from owning furniture. And I think a lot of companies aren't really considering those costs when they make a purchase. So to answer your question, I think, as Melanie said earlier, if we could just get the industry asking at the beginning of a project, do I need to own furniture or do I want that asset long-term? Do I want to take on all the costs associated with it? Or do I just need access for a period of time? And I just want to pay for what I use and I want it to go away. Pinging back and forth between this rental versus purchase, certainly a company that's investing in growth and would rather use that capital to invest in growth initiatives they should be considering furniture as a service. They should be talking to one of the providers and saying, hey, I've got better stuff to do with my money than to buy a depreciating asset like furniture. But if also, if the need is known to be short-term, if there's some element of risk, those are customers that should also consider furniture as a service. And finally, anyone that knows that used office furniture rarely retains any value, but also can create these significant moving and storage costs those folks too should at least have furniture as a service as one of the options that they can turn to when they're planning for the future. So of course, there does come a point when people are looking at the bottom line. And one of the services that our team provides is a total cost of ownership consultation, basically, where we dive pretty deep to see, look at the cost comparison of everything related to what we do versus a purchase. We just try to focus on the strategy part first, but in the end, we are willing to say, okay, this is what it costs here and there. And sometimes there's a magnificent savings working with us, and sometimes it's not the right fit. And you have to be candid about that and transparent, and I'm sure your customers appreciate that. Totally makes sense. And I'm just sitting here thinking about what Todd was saying about those hidden costs that people have when they own furniture, but they're not using it and they're having to pay for storage. And I imagine that probably a lot of those people are disposing of the furniture instead of eating the cost, but then that isn't very sustainable. And I know that's high on your agenda, Melanie. So I'm wondering, you touched on circular economy earlier, and I know that's a topic you're fond about speaking about. So I want to give you the floor. Okay, awesome. So two of my three adult kids are working in this space in the renewable energy field, and they've just had conversations with me over the last year about being a little bit more verbal and bolder and evaluating my own commitment to, to climate and environmental, which spills over to the work part of my life, which is why flexible furniture is good for the earth. And I think we're exploring as a team how um, can we be more effective in introducing furniture as a service to the, the commercial real estate teams that are looking for sustainability elements to help their own organizations, but also that of their clients. And um, this is a topic that's top of mind for me because I just had the absolute privilege of interviewing Alex Eds from JLL, the director of innovation and the former uh, head of sustainability in the UK for JLL. And Caleb, he's from the Real Innovation Academy. But we were having a number of conversations about how JLL's clients are working on developing sustainability goals. And so I, I just thought the timing was right to ask him if he thought that 
furniture as a service belongs in this overarching sustainability conversation. So this is what he said, 100%. In fact, we are currently working on a fit out for one of our new London offices and being guided by our corporate principles of adopting the principles of a circular economy. So furniture is certainly a massive part of that. And Alex said, it's crazy, really, that we still buy desks and chairs and computers. Why do we buy them? We don't need to. Our goal is to have our people to be productive. And that doesn't mean that we have to buy massive amounts of furniture that we'll eventually need to change out, replace, or put it in a landfill. Yeah, it's powerful, but it gets even better. So the next couple of days later, we we had another call and he said, you know what? I My team was meeting with a global financial services firm. And they brought up, how do we reduce our furniture footprint? How do we incorporate an asset light approach to this massive furniture? How do we get out of managing the furniture assets in general? It's a big topic and there's a lot of work to do by a lot of people, but I feel like our offering, which is truly circular, it has a place in this conversation as we try to make significant steps to help our world. I know that's more of a, probably more of a personal view, but I think it's important. It's, it's massively important. It goes back to my question about, do we, will we have swing space in the future? Alex, I think one up me there, uh, because <laughs> do we need computers and do we need to own computers and furniture? Gosh. Oh, you want to hear the second paragraph? Sure. I actually wrote these down. You'll like this because Alex says everything really is becoming as a service, furniture as a service, space as a service, IT as a service. This concept allows the collective us to have space where most things going into that space are simply subscribed to, it, and it works on so many levels. It helps with sustainability. It helps with cash flow. It it can even help reduce capex. It's just it's it's not just the people at court and the other furniture as a service providers that see this. It's all of us. There we go. I, I I know Alex. I know him from the Real Innovation Academy, and he's a stand-up guy. I'm going to have to get him on the podcast. <laughs> you are going to have to get him, and he, and he was saying that you guys are on a board together or something. We are, yes. Yeah. But, yep, that's right. He would love to. He's a super, super smart Caleb, and uh, you two should have lunch. And yeah. I think Todd should sit me over to London so that I could join. You get over here and lunch is on me. <laughs> okay, good deal. Great. Well, th uh, this has been a fantastic chat. I've learned a lot from both of you today. And I'm just curious what you guys are up to a lot of things. What's on the horizon? I'll take that one, Melanie. I think it was 2013 or so that we made a significant investment to grow this division of our company, what we call our workplace division. So we've got a really talented group of people out in our local markets. We've got really good sales management at a local level. And we more than doubled the business in this lane since we made that commitment. And we've also invested a lot in, in new products as well, keeping pace with the changing office environment. A lot's changed since then. So we're going to continue in that direction, continue growth and continue investments in this workplace offering. We're definitely working on the customer experience, trying to make things a little bit more automated, incorporating more technology into what we do. Fast Office is a good example of that. We're going to continue to, to expand our enterprise relationships. I talked about some of the companies that we work with. They're going to still continue to purchase furniture. We don't completely re replace buying furniture, but the more they talk to us, the more they understand that we need to be part of their overall strategy going forward. We're going to continue deeper engagement with people like Melanie in the commercial real estate industry and specifically engaging with all these different new emerging providers in the flexible spacing. I'm excited just to see how things are moving to a much more full service, 
customer-centric environment, more focused on the tenant experience in buildings. And so we're going to be part of that. And the final thing is we're going to continually evaluate our product and to make sure that we've got what we need to address a broad base of customers. We do a lot of work in the technology arena, in entertainment and digital media. We also do a lot of work with the major law firms. So we've got to be varied in what we have out in the marketplace. Although I have to say recently, those different client bases are actually more aligned than you might think. But we're going to continue to stay on top of trends and continually update our offerings so that we're on pace with with the other providers out there. That is fantastic. And I wish you both the best and continue working with the guys over at 8Y and, and all of the real estate leaders that you guys are engaging, Melanie, that you're engaging on social media with, particularly around LinkedIn, because I, I see that you are building your network uh, like a pro when we come to the U.S. If you're an asset manager listening today, I'm looking for opportunities in the U.S. and <laughs> hold my hand up there. But no, you definitely want to engage with you guys because I certainly see the value in furniture as a service. It plays right into to space as a service. But you know what time it is. It's the quick fire round. Quick questions, quick answers, a little bit of business, a little bit of personal. Are you ready for it? Caleb, I would like to turn the table on you right here in the spirit of disruption. And instead of doing that, how about if I ask you two quick questions? This is a first. I do appreciate being disruptive. How do I feel about being disrupted? <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, let's do it. Okay. Uh, fine, fine. Let's do it. What I honestly want to know is how can we and some of the listeners of the podcast support your mission? I mean, you're doing so much for so many other people. What can we do to help you? And then the second question is, why is as a service, whether it's furniture or space or IT, et cetera, why is that so important to support future development in commercial real estate and in, in the workplace? Oh, really good questions. I think, uh, gosh, thank you, first of all, for asking how to help. Look, I think that we put this podcast together to help the industry think forward and think into the future. And we've been fortunate enough to have some really bright people come on and, and share what they're doing, share their advice and their insights. And I think the, the best, I guess, help that I could receive is share the podcast. Some of the folks in the Real Innovation Academy have told me, gosh, the podcast is almost like a workshop on space as a service. And I've looked back and it really kind of is. So please share it. And certainly I believe that we as an industry, commercial real estate, need to put the customer at the center of the universe, not call them tenants and not focus on the, the capital markets as the customer, but the end user, the people using the buildings. And in doing so, I strongly believe, sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox now, but I strongly believe that space as a service should be part of it in some capacity in, in every single building's business plan. Yeah. I just please share the podcast. What, this, what is the second quote? Why is it so important for future development in commercial real estate in the workplace? Well, I think right now we're in this period of uncertainty and every day there's a new headline coming up about return to office or hybrid or so over the next couple of years, that uncertainty will settle down. But leading up to the, the events over the last 15, 18 months, there was a, a move towards more flexibility. Lease terms were coming down. The business environment was more volatile than it's ever been. And so planning 10, 20 years ahead is not going to be a thing in the future. And I think the more that companies can be agile and the more we can go into access versus ownership, I think the, the more likely a company can be successful. And I'm in this business because I believe entrepreneurs are what makes the world better. Every convenience, every innovation is because an entrepreneur wanted to solve a problem. Obviously, they want to make money too. 
And so the more we can do to help entrepreneurs and business people and innovators be successful, the better the world becomes. So that's why I think as a service is so important. Yeah, perfect. Two great answers. Thank you. Well, wow. that was great. Now, look, guys, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights um, with us today. And certainly connect with Melanie on LinkedIn or, or follow her on Twitter. She's at Melanie underscore court. I put all the links in the show notes below. So connect with all the different websites in, in, in there. Todd is on LinkedIn as well. Todd Simpson. Thank you both for coming on. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to catching up with you offline and everyone listening today. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. This podcast was produced by a podcast company. If you'd like to find out how we can help you with your podcast, simply email jason at apodcastcompany.com and check out our website at apodcastcompany.com.